G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of Chewing the Bat, where we delve into numerous sporting topics around Australia and also across the globe. In this episode, we're going to give you the Tom Greer-Smith interview. My name's Jack, and I'm gladly once again joined by good mate, fellow sporting diehard, Gus. Gus Bus, how you going? Good Jack, how are you? Good mate, mate, we've got a bit of a ripper today, which I'm keen for. Rip snorter. <laughs> Rip snorter. <laughs> we have good mate. Listener of the show, I think. Friend I of the hope. show. Friend of the show. Um, nodding. <laughs> in Tom Greer-Smith. How you going, mate? Good, mate. Thanks for having me, boys. No, Appreciate no, it. No, thanks for coming in. Um, thank and you. we also want to, once again, thank our producer, producer Frey, um, for doing all the work for us. Brought us some coffees. <laughs> coffees. Um, putting, setting up, what, a fourth microphone? Fourth mic with a stand and all. <laughs> so, who said we were low rent? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Um, boys, Tom. Once again, thanks for joining us. Um, we've got a couple of beers here for you too, so feel free to indulge. Mate, outstanding. Coffees as well. I don't know about the combo though. Coffee and beer. It's a hell of a combo. <laughs> Uppers, downers, all around. Um, so a bit more of a serious chat today, but we're going to have a bit of fun towards the end as well. Um, but we're going to also start off with a segment. Okay? Oh, starting off with a bit of fun too. Really? Start, starting off with fun. Off the cuff. Um, off the top with Tombo. Oh, <laughs> segment. We nice might. ring to it, boys. <laughs> so we're going to hopefully tune in to Tombo for a quick five-minute yarn every week for season two or three. Who, who knows how long this is going to go on for? <laughs> who knows how long each season is? So there's um, no use putting timelines on news it. news to me. I'm keen for it, though. But sounds fun. Yeah, so do you, want, do you want to do one now? Do you reckon you'll be ready? Off the sure, I've got no idea what you're talking about, but yeah, let's jump in. All right, let's see if we can do it. Um, do we know what we're talking about? No, I know what I want though. All right, there you go. There's one of us. <laughs> Captain steers the ship. <laughs> so I want to know what's made Tombo happy this week. Oi, all right. You can yeah. give a couple. I, wanna, I want one, one thing in particular, but if you have, I like have, this. have a couple. Let's look on the bright side a bit. Yeah. Look, um, moved into a new place yep. recently yep. Um, and we've got a fireplace. Oh. That's pretty well timed. Pretty man. good. That's yeah. very well timed too. Very <laughs> well timed. Bit chilly of late, boys, and uh, just getting the fire started. <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> the first attempt was just not going no to plan. Tough. And um, <clears throat> I've got this uh, Michael Jordan poster, and um, I've put it at the top of the fireplace, <laughs> and I reckon I was about nine or ten attempts deep. And just failing hard. I've just looked up what at did MJ. You do? Did you have no Tinder or anything, mate? Uh, well, I, I went down. I went the process. Um, funnily enough, you can go get um, some kindling D's. and stuff. And some diesel. And some, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> That's how they light them in North Arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you can go get it from the server. Yeah, you can buy all the different cars. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can get firewood from the server. Are you kidding? Yeah. There you go. Look how that's. That's so rural of you that you don't know that, Jack. As if you can buy it. <laughs> he, just, he just finds it himself. North Arm Living, <laughs> he yeah. Just, he just goes out and forages when needed. <laughs> yeah, put, my, put, put my Crocs on, get the chainsaw out and Safety away Crocs. I go. Safety Crocs. Yeah, yeah, safety Crocs. All the kids first. listening. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's a good but, one. But um, no, the, it was far too big, the, the actual wood. And wow. um, it, it was just not working. I had to go actually forage. That's literally what we ended up doing. And uh, <laughs> went and got some, some twigs and whatnot. In the inner city, who would have thought? But um, it was the inspiration from MJ looking above and, and you know, the, the quote, something like, you know, some people think about it, some people try and, and winners just make it happen. And uh, I'm looking up and I get the fire started. And thanks, MJ. <laughs> Appreciate it, it, mate. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And that's, mate, a really good start to off the top with Tombo. 
I like that. I don't mind that at all. It rings. Gave me some happiness too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm secondhand. Yeah. Happy too. Um, all right. Before we get into today's topic um, of mental health, mate, we want to run through quickly your resume. Oh. It's, a, it's a great one of that. Thanks, man. Um, so hear me out. So Tombo, you've done some stuff with Nexia, psychological, psychological testing and analysis starting in 2016. Is that right? Yeah, just um, doing some psychometric testing with some uh, corporates. Unreal. And you've also, this is actually where we met. Um, so you're a head adult coach program at University of Queensland, uh, the tennis center there. Mm. Um, you've also been a college tennis coach in Hawaii. Okay. Um, and also done some pretty cool projects in a co-author research paper. Yep. And a research thesis. Yeah, dabbled. What haven't you done? Um... Probably many things. Yeah, many, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, some pretty good tennis results too when you're over in college. Pack West all academic team. That's not tennis, is That's it? not tennis. That's uh, <laughs> the, the study side of things. Number one singles and doubles player for the UH Hilo. 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 Yeah, yeah, Hawaii Hilo. Can you explain? Shout that? out to the Vulcans. The Vulcans. <laughs> the Vulcans. Um, yeah. But, but not to get confused with the Star Trek fans, but um, the Volcano there. Fitting geology reference. <laughs> Definitely Pele, the uh, volcano god. <laughs> but but one sporting achievement I do want to highlight that should be on this resume is Division One Wednesday night futsal champion. We did for us and all. Us and all, fantastic <laughs> team. Shout out to the boys. That that was a great win. I don't know why that's not on the resume. It Thanks should, for reminding me, man. It should be Division there. One. Oh, was it? Was it? Oh, surely not. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to call you not. out. <laughs> no, excited. surely not. Wednesday night futsal in West End. I was excited for the boys. Oh, Div 2. Yeah, probably. I think <laughs> I got a yellow card that game too. The, oh, what's, the, the final? what's the procedure in futsal? Do you get a sin bid? Or do you just cop a yellow and it's just like soccer? Yeah, I think you're out for a period of five minutes or something. Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't think anyone got sat out, but um, there was some you just know, pretty warning. strong talking. Was that what got you? Verbals? Yeah, I wasn't happy with the decision or something or other like that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's not... It was... Um, I, I was so beaten with my lack of skill that um, I just... Yeah, I just committed so many fouls. <laughs> you can't slide tackle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I'm beaten here. I'm yeah. just gonna... I've been there too. Um, anyway, mate, currently your most notable... Um, currently working for Outback Futures. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Um, we want to touch on that a little bit more and because it's... Awesome work that you're doing, especially it's all remote work, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. What are you doing at the moment for Outback Futures? Yeah, yeah. Really passionate about that. Um, <clears throat> for those who don't know about Outback Futures, we're a not-for-profit organisation that specialises in rural and remote mental health. So we're allied health as well. So we've got um, your speeches, your OTs, yep. literacy, um, really coming from a multidisciplinary point of view. Um, that's from what we understand the best approach um, as they all contribute you know if you're helping some kid with his um, literacy um, yep. that's going to obviously impact his mental health yep um, and uh, yeah there's there's a wonderful range of work happening out there so we're based in Brizzy but we fly and fly out right so you're pretty much flying in and out every week not, a, not every week um, but you're going pretty, pretty rural yeah, yeah yeah I mean the wonderful thing of telehealth uh we were doing that before COVID and then with, with COVID coming in, all the technologies and protocols around telehealth really strengthened. Yep. So part of the strength of that model, mate, is that 
in rural communities, there's a lot of issues around, you know, what we call a dual relationship. Right. So, you know, if you're in a small community of 50 people yeah. <laughs> and you're living there as the psych, well, that, that creates a little bit of an issue if you, well, you go see him at the pub yeah. at every other local thing and <laughs> yeah. then there's, you know, confidentiality and that's the power of, of um, privacy within a psych setup is you don't want anyone knowing in small towns, you know, people... People will find out. People will talk. Um, and so, you know, a shop front setup as we call it, like you would have in the city where you go somewhere and you go and talk to the psych um, doesn't really work in rural and remote settings. Right, so this is the work that you do. You're the fly-in yeah, yeah. psychologist for the community. Yeah, so we fly in and we meet in um, in lots of different areas in, in community. We go to the schools, we do a lot of stuff with the schools, um, do a lot of stuff with council, meet with mayors and, and that sort of stuff and, and look at it from a community facilitation point of view. Yep. Um, and yeah, we don't have like a designated shop front, which is really, um, I guess, empowering for those who might have some preconceived stigmas and stuff around mental health and they don't want to go and see someone or don't want people knowing that they're seeing someone um you know with a town of 50 people and you rock up and there's you know tombo <laughs> psychology clinic you're not, you're not gonna walk in there and be like hey um so it's all you know just oh, pretty face though mate oh thanks mate beautiful <laughs> i don't think they're face afraid for radio. Of, i don't think they're afraid of going to see tombo just because <laughs> i might go see him he looks pretty good yeah but um no just um really passionate about that work because um, I feel our rural and outback communities are quite forgotten yeah. of late. I mean, the facts are that about it's almost the suicide rates are about almost twofold more in our rural communities right. for Australia as a whole. And outback um, Queensland in particular, Western Queensland is one of the highest suicide rates in the country. Why is it to do with Queensland? Because I do, you have mentioned this stat mm. to me before, and I've always wanted to know what's the difference between Queensland, Western Australia, even Victoria. Why, why is Queensland up there? Do you know? I actually don't know that right. in particular. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's a variety of, of reasons that might be impacting it, um, and it's it's the age group in particular, like uh, individuals between the age of 15 and, and 25 right. in rural Queensland are almost five times uh, or have almost five times higher rates of suicide than their city counterparts, which is incredible when you think about it. Um, and I think a large uh, reason for that is um, access to... Um, facilities, right. access to um, uh, healthcare, access to mental health care, um, and isolation is one of the big things as well. Yeah, amazing. Um, and pretty much Outback Futures goes and sets this up for them. So it goes to all the communities. Do you talk to, because when you go to these communities, mm. is there someone that you talk to to then get to everyone in the community is there yeah a community, is there a leader or is there some kind of council member or yeah and that and that's where our models um <clears throat> quite different um and there's yeah a lot of because like you said before you can't just rock up and say we're here exactly so what's the process there so the process is that when we go to a new town or a new region is we have to be invited in there first right so the idea of co-design and community facilitation is at the forefront so you can't just go into a community and be like hey 
this is what we think you guys should be doing. Well, that's sort of like a missionary sort of mentality. Exactly. In a lot of ways, which is sort of just, it's not going to help really, is no. it? No, it, it's, it's not. And it's um, coming in saying that, you know, us city folk know how it should be done better. And, and, and it has that undisclosed idea of, uh, well, you guys are inherently doing something wrong. And so going in there once you're invited and with that co-design idea of how, because every even every remote and uh, rural place is different to another. Yeah. So the, the community facilitation is just a fancy way of saying we work in from the macro sense and the micro. So the macro sense is... I'll do a lot of workshops uh, with communities. So uh, linking in with local government is yep. huge. So I'll talk to like um, the uh, the city council and their CEOs and whatnot, as well as um, the mayors and, and that sort of area. And then they will uh, invite us to town hall meetings and yeah. we'll have town hall meetings. Or I'll do workshops with the schools, um, different community groups. Yeah, because for you, if you want to be invited, you don't want to... You don't want mm. to feel like I can't imagine what it's like, but if you go in there pressing on their community, yeah, that's it's not it wouldn't be a good feeling for you too. So, knowing that you're getting invited to these communities and they want you to help mm. must, must also be a good feeling, yeah. Because you know what it is, uh, if it's the opposite around, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember one time I was, I was uh, asked to do a talk in front of about 600 council workers, and they're all in um, fluorescent orange, <laughs> the sea of orange. <laughs> And they're mainly all blokes and did not want to talk about anything mental health related. No. And you can just feel it. It's palpable. <laughs> so you're just like, oh. That would have been a tough one. He is just turning off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and there's, you know, there's just massive stigma around it. Um, and a lot of it's... Um, is is false you know is yep. is uh yeah not not true so um that is inherent barriers to making a difference but uh yeah look it's it's a real passion of mine it's something close to my heart because um of how the need is right now yep. it's it's um yeah the suicide rates are going up yeah amazing well um we, we're actually going to events i think in a week's time um held by the company living um which focuses on a lot with the with youth and young adults, and this is something that um, I think is a big topic currently, maybe as well in the last 10, 12, 15 years, is the increase in depression, anxiety, and unfortunately leading to increased suicide with mm. these um, younger younger age groups as well, and some as young as you know 12, 13, 14, which sounds which is absolutely ridiculous and absurd, and what I find interesting or what I want to know is the difference um, currently, why, what, what's changed? Because I feel, you know, 10, 20, 30, 30 years ago. Um, we when you were we, around. When I was around. <laughs> in his younger days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't much talk about it. Like you didn't mm -hmm. hear many people. You certainly that. wouldn't have heard it. But no, no, not no. 30 years ago. <laughs> 25 years ago. No, probably not even. <laughs> Maybe ambient noise washed over you. But you don't hear of it back... You didn't hear of it back then. Mm. So what's changed, do you think, in the last 20 years um, for it to get to a point like we see today? Yeah, and are you talking about you, you wouldn't hear necessarily of mental health in general or are you talking about suicide, depression? More so suicide, depression rates. Um, yep. Whether that's just because we focus on, on it more and we hear about it more mm. or is it actually increasing from year to year? Yeah, um, 
It's a combination. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of these things. Um, <clears throat> but I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, with, um, yeah, obviously with social media and stuff coming out now that there is a lot more talk about it. Um, I, I think there's a far greater awareness as you speak about living and what they're doing in their, you know, real real lived experienced I think that's yep. what they refer to as and so there's a lot of people um, yeah bringing attention to it which is fantastic um, but yes the rates have increased uh, in particular uh, yeah suicidality yep. depression and anxiety but also neurocognitive disorders uh, which are like stuff like ASD autism spectrum yep. disorder, uh, as, as well as um ADHD. Do you attribute this mainly to the influence of social media? Is this a big thing? There's sort of three main areas that I attribute it to. And yeah, one of them is social media. Um, That, well, we we know that what we see on people's social medias are the absolute best snapshot of their life. You know, it's the 1% of 1% that's absolutely fantastic. And then we compare to that uh, what what we're doing and and what they're doing. And so it's completely unrealistic. Um, But I also think what, you know, the content that we're seeing on there has definitely changed. So we're being exposed to that earlier. Yep. Um, And and just how that's also, uh, you know, affecting the brain, Um, just in terms of with, say, like with with dopamine and how we're addicted to um, what we're exposed to there and and getting a notification and the judgments that we have um, on ourselves from society. There's just constant judgments throughout the whole time. So would it then be as easy to say to spend less time on your socials and on your thing, if if a yeah yeah if a kid grows yes is the answer <laughs> yeah yeah in general well look um I think just in a whole that the more we're not uh, I guess in with you know want to say nature or, or just embedded in in life that we're somewhere else. You know that that we've got these unrealistic expectations of what we should be, or what we should be doing, what yep. we should have achieved, and constantly comparing ourselves to others is a huge problem. Yep. You know, like that idea of you should only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yep. That's all you can really do. And so the more that we're on, you know, these social medias, that there's just such negative comparisons the whole time. Yeah, that that's going to make a a huge issue. All right. Well, we're going to touch on a few of these main points. Um, as well, because I think what I'm super interested in is how can young kids deal with it, whether there's other things around, not just social media. or mm. So your age group is between, you know, before 18 and probably up until, because we see it's still really prevalent in older ages as well, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Let me jump into that because, um, yeah, a lot of my work at the moment is in diagnosing especially around um, ADHD is one of the more common ones and ASD and stuff and it's not like we missed this shit (laughs) (laughs) you know it's not like 20 years ago you see a kid in the classroom and you're like yeah no no no. you can't miss these signs of of ASD and and, and people quite don't quite understand exactly what that is and and ADHD definitely got you know overdiagnosed for a while and, and misunderstood but 
it's very obvious and you can't miss it. And and so, yeah, we can definitely say that there's a huge increase in especially those neurocognitive disorders okay. that are, that you have for life. I feel like that's a greater conversation at the moment, though. I feel like there's a greater conversation to be had just with the modern attention span. Does oh, yeah. that play into that at all? Definitely. Definitely. Um, we've definitely trained our brain to attend to things for smaller amounts of time. I mean, there is no, this idea of multitasking doesn't really exist in, in, yeah. in the terms of, you know, especially if you compare like me, ma- men and women and, you know, <laughs> women are just very, very good. Well, you're not a multitasker, Gus? <laughs> yeah. Mate, if you give me two things to do, I will... And ask me about one of them. It's like I'm a blank slate. I will have picked up nothing. Yeah. And you can, and that's, I mean, for most people, but if you're on your phone and someone talks to you. Oh, you're one of those ones. I'll grab nothing. Like my ears are not, my brain Mm. is just not doing that for me. Well, and, and that's just, that's a structural thing in, in terms of um, not not your issues there, mate. We don't need to jump into them. Um, but um, structurally, yeah, structurally in the brain, I mean, it's designed to attention, sort of like a flashlight, in that you hold when you, when you look to hold attention on something, you you turn the flashlight onto it, and then you can if something else pops up, the flashlight then goes to there. And so this idea of multitasking functionally isn't really a thing. You can only attend to one thing at a time. You can do multiple things poorly. <laughs> and uh, and where that relates to, you know, current currently, you know, people, as you just said, Gus, like people are on their phones, they're trying to attend to what's happening there, then someone asks them something, and we're getting inundated. We have like a sensory overload, which is getting inundated with sensory information on a day-to-day basis, and people aren't very good at uh, flushing that out, so to say, and dealing with that, and, and that, you know, creates huge levels of stress for the brain because it's just sensory overload. Um, and you know, from all these different, um, really vibrant stimuli, like, like your phones and everything like that, it's really, a t- it, it's designed to grab your attention. Uh, you know, there's a couple of really interesting Netflix, um, shows around social media. I think the social dilemma. Yep. I'd recommend people That's checking that out. I think we've, did we watch that together? Producer Frey? Sure did. So, yeah. Yeah, so that was a scary one. These dudes like design this stuff <laughs> to hold your attention. It's you know, dopamine is the reward system in the brain, and um, it's very strategically designed to capture attention and hold attention. Yeah, amazing. Um, well, we're gonna try and link also our mental health talk today to sport and in in a high performance sense and also in a recreational sense. But before we do that, we're gonna break it up. Give Tombo another segment. Okay. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, surprise for everyone Good in the room. Um, so we've been going with a segment, Tombo. Um, it's a new one from us called This or That, where we give you two separate things, whether it be items, food and beverage, events, events, treats, similar things, stimuli, and you got to give us your this or that. Which one would you prefer? So to kick us off, because we have a couple of fresh beverages in front of us, this or that, beer or wine, oh. with dinner. Oh, with oh, dinner. Okay, yeah. <laughs> There's a different environment yeah, there. You know what? Just had. beer or wine. What am I eating? Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> what time of day oh, is yeah. it? Red red wine with pasta. That's for sure. What if it's just Sunday afternoon? But um, because you've tried some of my beer, like I I brew brew some beer. Two here. Um. 
poorly, but give it a crack. Here you go, mate. Oh, we're we having a beer now. Yeah, yeah, oh, cheers, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> jeez. Um, so I would just say more in a general sense, beer or wine? Look, general sense, beer. Okay. That's a greater time of greater time of day. There's a greater range that you might enjoy yeah, a beer. Yeah. But, but you do have the fireplace now. Would you like to would you prefer a nice we, yeah, nice red, red wine, mate. <laughs> red wine fireplace. But I've still got the, can, the taps. I've still got the beer set up out, out um on the balcony if you remember. Oh, mate, in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah you have know. a tap running. <laughs> Keg plumbed in. Yeah, I've got yeah. the kegs, i got the tap, i got the bar outside. So, Jeez. probably going to say beer. Beer. Gus? Yeah, overall, probably beer. Have to. Gee, unlucky wine. Oh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not good. It's a tough game. Yeah. <laughs> it is a tough game. Winners the, and losers. That's Life. the thing. That's the thing. It's not shades of grey in this or that. Producer Frey? Kombucha? Ooh. <laughs> No, I'm going to give wine a shout. Yeah, okay. I thought you would, you would actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get him. Get him, boys. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get back into it. So we're just talking about adolescence, um, the increase in anxiety, depression in, in that age group in particular and young adults. One of the big things being social media, but do you think there's any other things that um, are influencing this or would, are there any other things that you would recommend this, this age group to try and avoid? Etc. Yeah, probably the biggest thing I would say, especially if we look at what we were speaking about before in terms of how we we couldn't have missed this stuff, um, these developmental disorders, and what's really changed is food. Really? Right. Yeah, food. right. Food. Yeah. Um, Didn't see that coming. Yeah, curveball. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> Jack, Jack would love that. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's some fantastic research coming out, you know, weekly um, and, and just really... Um, empowering this idea of the gut-brain axis. Yep. So what we understand is that, have you guys heard of, you know, your neurotransmitters? We mentioned one before, dopamine. We did a little bit of science back in school. You did a bit of science. (laughs) (laughs) I only did biology in year 10. I didn't keep it going. Oh. And chemistry, I lasted a semester in year 11. (laughs) So you might have to to expand on it a little bit. Right. Well, Jacko, you know, you did a double degree. Yeah, a little. I know a little bit. (laughs) Neurotransmitters. You got it. <clears throat> so your neurotransmitters, they're the, the chemicals in your brain um, that really control a bunch of things. Yeah. You know, the, these pathways in the brain are uh, multifaceted in terms of they do many, many things. And one of the ones that people probably heard a fair bit is serotonin. Yes. Yep. <clears throat> so serotonin regulates mood. It's one of its main things, mood. Um, it also regulates appetite and sleep. So if you've heard of, people have heard of antidepressants, most antidepressants are SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so that essentially uh, inhibits serotonin levels getting too low. Right. So if I have, say, example, um, you know, a GP sends me a referral for a client that's experiencing depression. If they've got major depressive disorder, a lot of times GPs will put them on uh, antidepressants. Yeah. So when we talk about antidepressants, we're talking about serotonin. Okay. That's the main uh, chemical and that how regulates does that mood. Come into the gut. So how that comes into the gut is that about roughly 70-80% of all your serotonin is produced in your gut. Really? Yeah. And so the gut brain access is absolutely paramount. 
And so what people don't quite understand in terms of when I say that the general public is that uh, we have this symbiotic relationship with our gut microbiome, right? And so we've got bacteria in the gut and we have this relationship that we've, you know, fostered over whatever, eons. And um, sounds about right. I got that compliment. Yeah, longer than Jack's been alive, that's for sure. Well, I don't know how old he is now. He's, he's, he's to, he reaches it back as needed. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. take it as a compliment. Apparently he's 30, but anyway. <laughs> Looking um, good too. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so we have this relationship with them and it's fantastic. It's, it's so pivotal. And so what we have is they're allowed to live in us. And with that, they produce these bunch of different chemicals and neurotransmitters in particular. And one of the main ones is serotonin. So the thing that the most important thing for people to understand is that these bacteria, and now there's a huge diversity of them, these bacteria feed off one thing. They need fiber. Right. So this fiber. is fiber. Fiber. Because this right. is where I wanted to try and link, link it back to dietary. Dietary, yeah. yeah. So... The food, so the food, food that you have is food, plays a huge role in food is health. medicine, and so um, you know that that's uh, a huge reason when we see massive correlation between uh, clients with IBS, irritable irritable bowel syndrome, and underlying gut dysbiosis, uh, with anxiety and mental health issues, uh, with um, bulimia and anorexia. Yeah, uh, almost all have comorbid issues with. Uh, mental health with anxiety because you're just ripping the underlying gut um, lining from the purging oh, and whatnot. Wow. Yep. Um, and so they have irreversible um, bowel issues um, if there's yeah the, the purging and whatnot and almost, yeah, huge correlation with anxiety um, disorders. Um, so the gut plays a massive role. And now when you say fiber you know <laughs> what does fiber mean to you jacko like oh, I, love, brand. I love my fi- what, Mate, sultana what's examples of sultana fiber? brand is pretty up there uh, well i haven't had sultana brand in a while, fiber. But surely some wheaties yeah i mean essentially your um your dense carbohydrates yeah right um and the crazy thing is i mean a lot of our stats are obviously from the states and 90 percent of americans are fiber deficient Wow. Now, because that's white bread just, is so much tastier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and fast food and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, that's a massive problem when you think of it. And so, and the stats also say that they get about, I think it's something like 60% of their daily calories from ultra processed foods. So if right. it's ultra processed, it's, as you just said, with white bread and whatever, it's stripped of a lot of its underlying nutrients. Yep. So what you have is a intergenerational destruction of the gut microbiome. If you start with grandma who had, let's pick a number, a thousand um, diverse uh, bacteria in their gut, she lives the Western lifestyle and she uh, consumes, you know, your meat and your veg and and, uh, and a bunch of stuff. She's a simple girl. Simple girl, you know? Yeah, country girl. <laughs> country girl from North Arm. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. uh, and because she's not getting adequate fiber, those bacteria die off. Yep. And then she uh, has a child and her, and her daughter um, maybe is born with less and then through her lifetime has 750. And then they have a kid and they've got 500. And it goes down and down and down with our Western diet.
diet until, until we've got such low amounts of bacteria in our gut that we're just not producing the serotonin and the neurotransmitters um, that uh, that we used to. And this in particular plays a huge role in our neurocognitive disorders, so in the development of the young brain. And that's why, I mean, I, I think is one of the largest contributors to the huge increase in ADHD, in ASD, um, in developmental disorders, in uh, mental health in, in general, especially for our young people, for yeah. our adolescents. I mean, the young brain is just not getting... Uh, adequate um, nutrition and so then you have on top of that you have large factory farming and you know we're just getting totally stripped of, of all those a lot of the nutrients and stuff just doing stuff on a huge macro scale um, so yeah it's creating a, a massive issue right now and so in terms of you know bringing it back to practicality you know people are going well you know fiber what's fiber in terms of <laughs> Weebix and, and whatnot <laughs> Our, our dense carbohydrates, and so they're our whole grains, right? Yep. So whole grains is yeah, example of, of your cereals and stuff like that. Your, your good breads, um, and uh, and then you've got uh, your fruits, your vegetables, your nuts, your seeds, legumes. Legumes are fantastic oh, for yeah. fiber, but lentils, especially in a curry, I don't mind that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're just not getting it. And it's bizarre to me because everyone's jumping up and down about protein. It's yep. like, I have never met a GP that said, yeah, I said this person's uh, protein deficient. It doesn't <laughs> happen. I've never met one. Yeah. It doesn't happen. If protein's not a thing. You get so much protein It'll from pick it up. plants as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look at gorillas and, and horses and stuff. I mean, they're just eating Pretty muscular. Yeah. That's, the, that's <laughs> yeah. what we're Bigger looking for. Me. Bigger <laughs> than me. And, and obviously, I'm not comparing us to them. But what I'm saying is there's plenty of protein in, in plants and arguably it's a better source. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, spouting certain dietary patterns. But what is certain is that we are not having enough plants in our diet and yeah. fiber in particular. More fiber, less protein. Well, not less protein, so, but less of it. Well, that's just a healthier choice. Just general. So that's that's a trend over maybe what, like the past 60 years? Sorry. A bit of froth on the beer. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone put eyes yeah, on. Yeah. Everyone paused. Thomas riding the foamy dragon. Well, we all paused waiting for a little bit of overflow. Thought he might have to ride the foamy dragon. <laughs> and it didn't come. Wouldn't be the first time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that... Those are all changes, maybe 80. I mean, say a century, there's been massive change since all these changes and even yeah. the Industrial Revolution. The, yep. And then we begin factory farming and all Definitely. these changes happen and we start processing foods in factories because mm -hmm. we're able to. That's, in the scale of human development, that's a very recent change. Definitely. And these are recent changes we're talking about with this mental health. Yeah, and if we look at um, other countries other regions in particular, especially if we're looking at more larger, uh, like chronic health issues when we're, I mean, number one, I'm pretty sure it's still number one in Australia and was in America was heart disease, atherosclerosis. And so that they had no heart disease and atherosclerosis in um, most of Asia and Africa before the 1950s. Really? Right. So in 1950s after World War II, um, especially in Asia and China and whatnot, is massive uptake in fast foods. Yeah. Right? Your Maccas and all that sort of jazz comes in there. As, as America sp spreads around the world. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah. Someone would have done it. Like, there's, not, uh, to, 
there's there's crazy stuff. Like the China study is one of the most amazing studies ever conducted. Like I don't think we'll ever have a study that large ever again because, well, you've got a totalitarian uh, regime that just goes, yep, a million people have to do this study and give us your blood. <laughs> so, but a great insight in, in, in terms of uh, seeing these risk factors change over 20 years. Like uh, it was a pretty amazing study. Um, and uh, yeah, at, at the end of the day that the current consumption of fast foods processed foods uh and this bizarre um fixation on protein is completely um yeah undoing our body's natural ability to produce these um neurotransmitters and and uh the adequate hormones and you know at the end of the day we're we're very um large organism with multiple things and you can't separate uh, mental health to physical health you know the the head and the body it's all one organism and yep. we we try and segment things because it's easier for our brain to put into these boxes yep. but it's it's one thing and so what you put into your body into your gut uh, what you consume hugely affects your psychological health who would have thought I, I didn't see that one coming as a that's really interesting as a reason so the two the big two ones that we've alluded to social media food and the changes in food. What I'm also interested in is how sport and recreation pay, plays a role in mental health. Mm. With the you know the booming social media um, industry in the last I don't know, 10, 12, however many years, we've seen Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those things. We've seen a decrease, I'm guessing, in a lot of kids playing sport. Do you think that's this is a big issue? Are kids playing enough... Sport, are, th- are kids getting too tied down on their screens? Yeah, well, yeah, I've got an uh, upcoming workshop um, on uh, a gaming addiction, actually. Oh, I hit the nail um, on the head there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, so that is an issue. But what, what I will speak to is uh, the increase in sedentary lifestyle. Right, okay. That, that is for certain. That's, that's what the research um, demonstrates, that we are becoming far more sedentary than yep. our ancestors. Now, why, why is that an issue? Uh, yeah, I had I had the privilege of doing a um, webinar series over COVID on the um, psychological impact or reasons for exercise. Right. Really interesting stuff. So what what we know is that just research after research comes in and shows us that exercise as a treatment for depression is about three times as uh, more effective than antidepressants. Now, wow. it's just not being talked about. It's wild. Yeah. It's, it's wild that, uh, you know, we, we're in this age of medication and the amount of times that I have clients come to me that say, you know, the GP put me on this or this isn't this. And no disrespect to them. They've got a huge role to do a, across a huge variety of issues. However, we're in this like microwave mentality yeah. where stick in there, give us the, give us the result and, and bang straight away. Meds will fix it. Uh, more ish- shouldn't medication be more of a last resort as opposed to... Look, I, and I'm not saying that um, <clears throat> I'm against medication at yep. all. Um, there's a role for medication. Yep. Um, and it's circumstantial for sure. Sometimes uh, medication is imperative and necessary. Yep. But uh, it's also not as... The, like, in terms of what is effective in terms of we're talking about diet and lifestyle and exercise it's not just not as sexy you can't uh it's not a quick quick fix yeah yeah but but you also can't sell it and advertise it it's like 
eat more plants and move more. It's usually <laughs> that's usually the way. It's a bit like diets. That's why people like with diet itself, everyone wants the quick fix of people will try out. I don't want. I don't want to call out a specific diet, but various diets where you yeah. just go. I'm not doing carbs. I'm just doing protein substitutes or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Generally, the answer is just have a balanced diet and do a bit of exercise, <laughs> yeah. and it'll work out better. It, but it just you can't sell it. It's almost yeah. too because basic. People mm. are also more likely to use medication and take it as opposed to if you tell them to go for increase their exercise and whatnot. If they're already in that mindset of being super sedentary, mm. what's the likelihood of them actually going well, out? It's hard. Do, yeah. It's hard to break out of that. Yeah, and like if we're if we're taking depression for example, yeah. um, as a very specific example, if you are in a, in the middle of a depressive episode or mood because you've got such low serotonin that you actually, everything great, you actually can't move. You actually can't go out and do stuff and even contemplate doing some of these really proactive, wonderful um, environmental things to do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's where medication is extremely useful because it gets it up a bit so then we can start doing stuff. But what I explain to clients and patients is that it is just a tool. It is not a silver bullet. It's a tool to get you moving and then there's always more steps you needed to do to complete the journey. Okay. And so that's where exercise comes in. So a uh, really interesting role that, especially aerobic exercise, um, which is um, running, running, moving. Yeah. <laughs> so I was is, taking it you in. You just glossed over. I, I was, was like, taking it in. I was just, I was just ready, ready to keep eyes. it coming. Were you, were, you, were you trying to think of the last time you went for a run? <laughs> What a hater. <laughs> no, you started swimming, mate. You've been swimming. It's all good. No, only, only love in this podcast. Um, no, aerobic in, in terms of um, getting the heart going. Aerobic means use, with use of oxygen, right? Yep. <clears throat> so uh, what we found there is this crazy relationship um, that with the brain in terms of with stress. So, you know, there's good and bad stress, but there's um, this uh, chemical called tryptophan, right? And uh, its uh, its role that it plays in the brain is is multifaceted, like a lot of these things. But with exercise, exercise aerobic exercise shunts tryptophan into producing more serotonin. Right. Yeah, and and then bad stress um, shunts it into uh, different neurotoxins, which is obviously extremely bad for the brain. And so exercise has this amazing moderating effect literally at a chemical level on the brain, firstly, with serotonin, secondly, with endorphins. Everyone's felt some endorphins, some of them feel-good chemicals, yep. you know? Chocolate. I mean, because it makes yeah, sense, yeah. right? Like, you know, we're designed to run away from the tiger and you got to feel good. Like, you can't be like, oh, my God, this sucks. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, have some feel-good stuff and keep running, man. <laughs> you gotta, you got to run away from that tiger. Um, so that's just a natural thing that the brain releases. Um, so yeah, we, we get all these, uh, feel good chemicals, um, yeah, endorphins and, and opioids. Um, and there's this neuroplasticity sort of effect on the brain as well with this BDNF. This doesn't matter. We don't need to go into that. <laughs> get a, all nerdy a, on it. It's a deep dark hole for you, that one. Dark hole. <laughs> all you need to know is that there's multiple reasons, uh, multiple pathways in the brain of how exercise uh, literally increases your mood, and we can all f we've all experienced that anecdotally. You go for a run, yeah, and you feel better after it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Now the research sort of sh sort of shows that 
you know, about 20 minutes and above is, is normally when you get, we can actually measure the uh, release um, of, of endorphins and, you know, that, that run is high that we look at. So, but that's not to say doing any exercise is beneficial as well. And it actually has a, um, uh, an increase um, build-up effect, right? If you do it multiple days, multiple times. Yep. We get we get that so so that's massive. We we have to move, and that's just mental health. We're not even talking about um, the physical health and, and movement and blood flow and all that sort of jazz. Yeah, awesome. So to summarize it a bit more in a simple sense, I got three main things out of that: is to decrease your social media use. Yeah, exercise. Be here now. At, at least change the change the way you do it, because people are not. It's hard. It's most of us are too addicted to just quit totally. I think at least try to change the way you do it because subtle changes. I've only heard this term in the past like two years, but doom scrolling is an apt <laughs> description. <laughs> what is doom what, scro- I doom scrolling? Doom scrolling is just flicking through but not thoroughly engaging with it. Right. On a chemical level, your brain is engaging with the social mm. media, but you're not actually just mindfully enjoying it. You're just sort of sitting there doing this, and a lot mm. of the time, it's just a bad comparison or it's bad news about something, yeah. and it leaves you feeling bad. Yeah. If you're going to use social media, you you can engage with it positively, I think, but you have to work very diffi- very hard to do that. Okay. Yeah, and what what I would say on that, Gus, because I totally agree, is <clears throat> like be here now with who you're with. You know, in 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 the sense that our communication styles, our communication pathways have completely changed. I mean, we're just so connected from a technological point of view, we've become so disconnected from a human point of view. And so what we do know is that having conversations like this face-to-face, uh, we're, so, we're such communal animals that we, we get a huge boost from that. So get involved in, in you know, your, your loved ones, your family, your communities. Be here now rather than somewhere else on, on social media comparing yourself uh, maybe inappropriately compared to these perfect lives that these influencers and whatever live. Yeah. So everyone start a podcast. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, have you it's perfect. It's yeah. an absolute treat. Well, I, I'm surprised. I know that podcasts have been a big thing over COVID. People slow, there's more and more come up, but I'm surprised no one, a lot more people aren't doing it. <laughs> Especially when you've got producer Frey around. Yeah. That's probably why. <laughs> I haven't told you guys about my other six shows. Oh, God. His, his, his career. His career's che- taking off. He's cheating on us. <laughs> it does feel a bit bad. Um, all right. That's awesome, Tom. But we also, I also want to touch on your work um, with, with sport, in particular the high performance space. So, are you, doing, are you currently doing some work? In, in that area yeah yeah with some elite athletes yeah. and, and and what's that been like what sports are you dealing with at the moment uh, main, mainly tennis and cricket um, naturally with with my background in playing both uh, at a decent <laughs> this level this guy <laughs> at a decent level <laughs> tell us about your cricket career yeah, quickly mate I was way Give better at cricket look. than tennis for, for a while there what did you do um, yeah you Just know like states and, and state rep whatever um yeah, just uh, batter bowler all around it. The old, the old man, uh, we, we had this set up, right? Yeah, so you'll love this, man. <laughs> you'll love this, right? So there's a long hallway in my parents' house where I grew up. And, um, you know, not, not too wide. It's old Queenslander. 
with the plasterboards and uh, my old man going, look, mate, if you're going to play cricket, I'm like eight at this point. <laughs> if you're going to play cricket, mate, you got to learn how to play straight. <laughs> it's also like life. Can't play with a crossbat shot in life. <laughs> got to play straight, mate. I do like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was life lessons with Craig Oss. You guys know Craig Oss. <laughs> he's always, he's wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, but life lessons always. And uh, so he gives me, um, not not to outdo uh, the Don, I wasn't quite as good as that with the, uh, with the wicket, <laughs> yeah. but he gave me a very slender, plastic uh, baseball bat right and he looks at me he says I'm going to be bowling it because it's long enough to bowl he said I'm going to be bowling it down here or pegging it whatever and he said look mate your mother really likes these walls and if you damage them that's on you I'm eight <laughs> so, with, so a, with a rounded bat no less yeah 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 exactly so um, <clears throat> you could only score points straight so, you know, the elbow got up nice and high, nice and early. And, um, yeah, no, I didn't get in trouble too much from mum. But... Uh, <laughs> warm on this guy. Yeah, it must be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, my, my father helped me out a lot there. But, um, yeah, no, I love, love my cricket, mate. So, cricket, any, mate. any young cricketers out there with the hallway, get into it. Yeah, learn how to play straight. <laughs> play well, straight. Yeah. Well, could, you, could you tell us, did you get anyone in a rep team? Anyone who kicked on to play for the Bulls or even the Australian team? You happen to come across anyone in your junior days? Oh, in my junior days, mm. um, no. not that, not that comes to mind. If only. No. <laughs> no. Oh, you thought you had a bit of a story there, didn't you? It's worth a shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Not. Not at all. All right. Well, um, going back to the work that you do in the performance, high performance side of sport in tennis and cricket. So, what does that look like for you? Um, do you get individual athletes come in to see you mm. and what's the process that you go through um, that you can obviously share with us with these individuals yeah like um, my way of viewing stuff even if I'm you know working with an athlete uh, that's in a team sport or even if you know if you were going to work with a team um, my philosophy is that if you make real change and, and impact with an individual particularly those that are of importance of a play, you know, a huge role within that team that, that actually makes more of an impact or, or a huge impact on, on the whole team. So I work at the individual level. Um, so it doesn't really matter what sport they're doing and performance is performance, you know, whether you're on a tennis court, yep. whether you're playing cricket, whether you're in a boardroom, whether you're playing violin, doesn't matter. Chess boxing. Chess boxing. Yeah. What were some of those other wild <laughs> <Yeah>. ones? Yeah. <laughs> um. Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> I forget them straight away. Yeah. Worm charming. <laughs> anyway. Stop it. Stop it. It's another But yeah, it's, it's the ability to uh, do a skill at a really high level under pressure. You know, that's, that's what you know, performance is. And so there's a lot of commonalities across that that enable an individual to quote-unquote perform. Um, so my way of looking at it is a sort of do a number of things with the athletes but I mean essentially at the start there you've got to have like this idea of cognitive diffusion you've got to have a way to separate from the experience to the thoughts yep. and the opposite of that is fusion if you're fused with your thoughts it's like oh my goodness you know why did I do that or why did I do that and blah 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 and you're con totally consumed by the thought of the event or whatever's happening so you've got to have a skill set abilities to separate or detach from thoughts from experience and and be able to be you know people talk about being in the present or whatever mm, yeah well, you can't be in the present if you think about the past that's right and well all these 
high performance act. <laughs> Cassie, <you> just <laughs> <laughs> did you have to mull over that one a bit? I thought it was a good point. <laughs> I, th- I thought we'd talk about it a bit more, but you just wanted to keep it moving. <laughs> no, I'm not keeping. We're still here. You got some questions on that, Gussie? <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. It it's sort of um. I was wondering if I find that in mindfulness teaching, mm. generally they say that, or to to sort of achieve that state, you have to acknowledge a thought a bit more. A little voice in the back of your head acknowledges the way that you feel in that thought yep. or that idea. And then you move past it and you re-engage with the present. So I was just thinking about it. It was an interesting conversation. Yeah, it is interesting. That's all right, Jack. Keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it's fantastic. And I, and I love that you brought up the idea or the practice of mindfulness. Like finally, the West is starting to realize what the East have been doing for thousands of years and go, oh, actually, that that has some validity. Uh, and again, with with the research and the, um, the technology that we have with brain imaging, functional brain imaging technologies we can see huge differences in say you know when we have a a group of participants that do mindfulness training or attentional training and the difference um it has on neurons that we're forming new neurons in the front of the brain so that's a huge part of what i do is both from a clinical sense like if we're talking about kids with adhd and to focus or with the elite kids is it's like gym for your brain I, I, you know when I talk to adolescents and young kids like 10 year olds can understand that we're going to do some brain workouts right yeah and and that's this ability to you're literally growing just you know you you lift a weight and you you break some muscle fibers and stuff you know how it is yeah. <laughs> Guzzy is lifting weights over there but yeah. um yeah Jeez, you, you, I can't escape it in this corner <laughs> of the room <laughs> we need to swap chairs yeah, yeah yeah straight up but well, yeah, from, from Jack's understanding of your yeah, ex-fizz, um, yeah, you rip and tear muscle fibers and they grow back bigger and stronger and whatnot. Uh, technically uh, known as gains. Gains, oh. with a Z. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, in the same way, you can have neural gains. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. We can see that now that you, from doing this training, you can get more gains in the frontal cortex there for your ability to hold attention on things. Yeah, yeah. gray matter. <laughs> Is that healthy? <laughs> Is that considered healthy? In the, I don't think so. <laughs> what's the? What's Tell me more about grey matter, Frank. <laughs> they seem confident. Oh, no. Um, no, let's let's stick with the work that I want to hear a bit more about the work that you do with the high performance athletes because yeah. there's a lot of topics within that. Um, but what a lot of people see on the outside, looking at these tennis players, cricketers, footballs, whatever, mm. they see usually a very composed athlete on yeah. their screens but there's probably a lot more underlying that person that they're struggling with oh yeah yeah so w- what are what are the biggest struggles that our current high performance athletes athletes face whether it's stress anxiety. well let, let's take an example like we've been okay. chucking around some big words and whatnot and have right. a bit of fun dive deep but um <clears throat> i think our, our good mate kigs is is a perfect example Ooh, of that yeah. <laughs> um now i don't you know, I don't purport to know him personally or anything like that. But from what I see is that it's a really good example of this, I guess, dynamic that a lot of athletes have is like there's this desire to win and this desire not to lose, yep. which are two completely different things, right? Yeah. And when <clears> – <throat> let's take like the desire not to lose, for, for example – is when that's when that's being met, 
in terms of the desire to not lose is being met, yeah. then that's relief, right? It's, oh, well, fantastic, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But if it's not being met, then that is anxiety. Yeah. And it's anxiety provoking in terms of worry. Right. Right? So what, what you get is the brain going, holy moly, this is uncomfortable. You know, anxiety, yep. worry is not comfortable. I have, because you only worry about things that you care about, right? Well, yeah. You can't worry if you don't care, right? Exactly. <clears throat> so what you have is this huge passion and purpose about whether it's trying to, trying to win or trying to be the best, whatever you're trying to do. But in particular, when you're playing a match, you're trying to win. And I was usually trying not to lose. <laughs> <laughs> that was my big issue, I think. <laughs> oh, just to chime in for you there. <laughs> Listen in. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm like, all right. I was just thinking, catch me at UQ next time playing Jobbins. Just thinking, <laughs> do you want to win? <laughs> do you want to win? <laughs> that's maybe, maybe you solved it, mate. Maybe that's the way to do it. I might, have, might be re-engaging my career as we speak. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you there. Kick it off again, mate. <laughs> Kick it off. Come back part two. <laughs> Too good. But it's interesting because what happens is the brain goes, this is terrible, this desire not to lose and it's so anxiety provoking yep. that it wants to get rid of it. Right. And so a wonderful way to get rid of that anxiety is frustration because you can't be angry and anxious at the same time. Right. At, at, in terms of the exact same time in that moment. Yeah. Okay. Right. They, you know, one precedes and, and goes like that. Yeah. But that's why we see, for example, our mate Kiggs or, or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Kiggs, by the way. I yeah. think he's a fantastic human in general. Yeah. But great example of um, what maybe the, the um, uh, public sees as frustration, mm. even though I think he's really done a good job in, in moving forward in that in these past couple of summers. He's yeah. fantastic. But... Uh, you see them get frustrated and, and you know, we've all we've broken some bats here and there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know... You, Are you talking for yourself there, mate? Or? Collectively, okay. you and me both. <laughs> yeah. We did play some dubs together. All right, you got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's shared, right? But yeah, we when in that moment in time when we're cracking a bat yep. um, and we're, we're frustrated is you are literally... The brain is displacing the anxiety. Now, when that becomes habitual in the sense that you do it a bunch of times, those neural pathways get really deepened and therefore, because they're deepened in the sense that the um, that the neurons are, are thickened and it makes it easier to do it, that's yeah. what a habit is, then that is going to be a conditioned behavioral response right. that you have from that anxiety-provoking stimuli. So you get used to chucking a tanty, right? <laughs> really hard to undo, yeah. <laughs> especially if you do it from a young age. Yeah. Is your it's, brain goes, I know how to get rid of this really shitty feeling. Yeah, yeah, I chuck a bat, you know, mm. and break it. And for the small amount of time, yeah, it displaces the anxiety. It is relieving for a short amount of time. Yep. But obviously, there's, there's issues with it. So what happens after that is if it still hasn't given the ability to get rid of the anxiety then, well, the underlying thing is care yep. in terms of I'm worried because I care. So what the ultimate thing, and I'm skipping forward a bit here, but what the ultimate thing we see is tanking. Now, tanking is a direct result of trying to get rid of the, the final effort of getting rid of the anxiety because if you tank, you don't care. And you go, what does it matter? I'm not here. I'm just going to tank. It's right. 
whatever. So I'm not caring. So because I'm not caring anymore, you totally get rid of the anxiety. And this is an important. This is an important message too, because people, the viewers on the outside, all they see, like for a curious example, is someone getting angry and yeah. smashing a racket. They get frustrated because they perceive that he or anyone yeah. doesn't care, when in fact, what preceded that is caring. Yeah, worrying about it. Yeah. It's just yeah. disengaging from that. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. If he didn't give a shit, he wouldn't be he wouldn't throwing be there. his racket. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and so, you know, in that sense, you know, I really do um, feel for him because he's got to, I mean, yeah, try and defend himself from, from people about it. But yeah, um, and that that is a problem for some athletes because then you go, and that's what we see with him sometimes is you go to the other end of the scale. You're like, well, I'm just going to go out there and have fun and not quote unquote care and just play whatever. But obviously that's got an issue as well because you're not in, in there and, and hustling and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it creates a huge issue, and especially when, when we talked before about that cognitive dissonance, you know, sorry, um, uh, fusion that we, yep. we want to defuse cognitively, which what that means is, well, we're so, like Higgs is just so consumed by the thought or consumed by the emotion that it just goes, it shuts off the front of the brain. Frontal cortex is where we do our higher order thinking and rationalization and all that sort of stuff. And it goes back of the brain that uh, amygdala is our threat detection system and it goes, but there's there's a tiger, whatever. And in, <laughs> well, in, in these days, the, yeah. the tiger is the, you know, the match that's yeah, whatever exactly, or yeah. your boss or your girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Is that funny there, Fred? <laughs> oh, this is last from two sides of the table. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so that is um, literally felt the same way in the brain from yeah. a chemical point of view. Um, and if you can't detach from that, then it literally those threat detection systems hijack the front of the brain. Yep. So, you know, if you're dealing with someone that, you know, maybe have like anger problems or whatever, or you've been in a situation where you're arguing with someone and it's completely irrational because yeah. it's literally hijacked the front of the brain, turned it off and you can't think. So a huge part of what I do with athletes is how do we disengage that hijack? Right. In, or, or a different way of saying is how do we re-engage the rational part of the brain and just see thoughts for thoughts, emotions for emotions. And then you go to the next stage, which is process-orientated goals. Okay. Well, because that brings it into my last question is an athlete that comes into you that's, you know, focused too much on worrying about losing and all this, how do you turn that mindset around for them? Because it could be also a good message, not just for your high-performance athletes, but your average Joe Blows like myself. Mm. I'm not going to say Gus is. <laughs> you thought about it. I was though. just kicking off his career again. We can't say that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, yeah, what are, what are, what's some advice that you would give or to your clients mm. and what do you do do with them to try and turn their mindset? I'll send you the bill after this, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> asking for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend. Yeah, more, <laughs> more is shouting us all. Um, no, it's actually it, a fantastic yeah, question. In a general sense, yeah. Look, um, you know, part of that, and that's why I sort of separate it when I'm working, especially like with an athlete, like there's three sort of steps to it. Yep. Um, and, you know, we said the first one with the distancing, the second one, the process orientation, the third one is building tolerance on all of that. But you're more talking about that first step there is how do we, how do we, um, I guess, gain distance yes. from our thoughts yep. and what we're doing there. There's this interesting, um, 
I guess, polarity, duality that we have in, in lots of areas in life. But the more you sort of want or desire something, the more that it pushes back, right? There's this push-pull natural way of, of the world works, yes. right? And so the one of the biggest problems we have or that, you know, I say we collectively is that we try and get rid of something, right? And in the act of getting rid of something, actively trying to destroy something, to remove something, you are actually keeping it embedded there. Right. For example, you know, you ever have like <clears throat> a, a, like a, a nervous thought about something or whatever and you're like, oh, got to get rid of that thought. It's yep. not a good thought. Like, you know, you've, you've got your pre-match jitters or whatever and you're you like, I'm so nervous. I can't get... And then you get nervous about being nervous and it goes it's round like and round. A classic example for me is when I was swimming in my younger years, standing, yeah. standing on the block. Mm. Hated it. Mm. Butterflies, the whole works, just no good. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, and it's such I, a common I quit, experience. I quit swimming. From that, so it's disengaged, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't but feel it. Firstly, that's normal, yeah. If you didn't have any anxiety at all in your life, I would be hugely concerned. That's yeah. abnormal, yeah, because then you go up to the corner of the cliff and you would feel nothing. And so, a little bit of anxiety is really good because it means that you are here in reality and that you care. Yeah. <laughs> if you have none of that, then you know, I'd be concerned. So, I, you know, that's a big myth for people is that it's good to have a little bit of anxiety. That's yep. for sure. Um, and especially for athletes, you know, that, that bell curve that we talk about with you know, arousal levels and performance, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you need a bit of a, you need, you know, yeah. everyone's slightly different how much arousal you can get over aroused. But anyway, um, what it is, <laughs> you're having a time over there, Gussie. <laughs> Interesting tone of phrase. That's all. <laughs> over aroused. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the thing that I would say is that the act of getting rid of something, actively trying to remove something is actually keeping it there. So the solution is that what I talk about is this idea of letting go or surrendering. Surrender is, I think, the best word because surrender means to stop fighting. Yeah, accept it. Accept it. Yeah, well, and, you know, we hear about acceptance, but we're not talking about acceptance in an holistic sense in, in that you, you just giving up and like nothing I can do it. No, it's a very active endeavor to surrender. And um, that, I think, is one of the most uh, helpful things is that I'm not trying to get rid of this thought or emotion I'm just surrendering Acknowledge to Acknowledge that you have and it. Then and then indirectly, it starts to dissipate. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, well, that pretty much sums us up on the high performance um, side of things. What, what I also would like to know and hear from you is some things that you do yourself. I know that you're into your mindfulness, your meditation in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't done it myself. Um, yoga, mm-hmm. Pilates. Breathing. All of these activities. Is there yeah, any of these like certain activities that you would recommend to either your athletes, your general population, young yeah. adults? Yeah. Um, big shout out to breath work. Right. Yeah. I did see. Remember when Freddie, Freddie, Fred, um, Brad Fittler got a breath coach. Yeah, breath coach. He did a lot. He was a blues coach. Um, yeah, yeah. State of Origin. Yeah, and yeah. his first year as coach a few years ago, um, when they I think stopped the streak, he. Did a lot of sore point. <laughs> yeah, he did a lot of mindfulness, breathing. Yep. A lot of like barefoot walking in the grass, and mm. you know, really calming, relaxing stuff. And everyone was like, 
a bit thrown off by it. Thought it was a bit weird to boo. I think in the NRL landscape, it would be um, <laughs> probably a bit different for them compared yeah. to what they usually. Yeah, but he brought this interesting new take to um, how he approached the build-up to an Origin game, and yeah. it worked. And it and it worked for them. And now we see it in rugby a lot, where yeah. the teams, you know, when they're taking a conversion, the team would come and huddle, do yeah. some breathing techniques. So yeah. you, you see it; it's a bit more prevalent. Yeah, because there's just so much science about it now. Like, I know we've gotten real nerdy today, but, you know, there is, we're in an age of misinformation. And so I'll always refer to what the science says because that's just what we have in front of us right now and, and to try and dispel any myths. But the, the science is <clears throat> pretty interesting at the moment, especially when it comes to the vagus nerve. Yes. You've always heard about that? No. Not Vegas. <laughs> the nerves you feel when you enter Vegas. <laughs> when, you, when you go to Vegas and you dabble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All no, on. I haven't. The Blackjack King over there. Maury. <laughs> Look at him. He knows it too. You, no, you, I you, the you at the castle on Friday night, mate? Definitely not, mate. I don't, I don't gamble. <laughs> um, but have you heard of the Vegas nerve? I have, yes. Yeah. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, get him. <laughs> you get him. Yeah. You like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I no, ha- well, I haven't well, heard Tom. So you tell me. <laughs> All right, Jack, my well, friend who knows already, he'll just he'll just happen to listen. Geez, you're a good bloke, mate. It's <laughs> a great save, mate. It's a very Don't good listen save. to what they say about you, guys. You're a great bloke. <laughs> Jeez, this guy, kick him <laughs> off. Uh, now, um, yeah, Vegas Nerf really at the cutting edge of science right now. Um, what it is is this um, nerve that goes from the brain in the back of the brain there in the in the brainstem and everything like that back of the ear all the way down your um, central nervous system down to and it inserts all the way in your diaphragm right in your belly so the vagus nerve um, has so many roles in the body but one of its main roles is around these um, fight and flight states you've probably heard of that and so these are these states of you know when we talk about the autonomic nervous system with its two different things you've got this sympathetic state which is your rest and digest we can chill out and then we've got the um the so that's parasympathetic and the sympathetic is this fight or flight it's and we're stressed and a lot of the population right now is very much in that so the tone of the vagus nerve there is in this constant stressed out state where you're just hyper vigilant Right, and you you probably are misinterpreting um, information and stimuli coming on, and you're snapping at people and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, breath work is a fantastic way to tone the vagus nerve. Um, and because it inserts down there in your belly and your diaphragm, I mean, diaphragmatic breathing. I mean, we've been doing that for in, clinically for for decades, yeah. but um, of late, a lot of research with Navy SEALs, right, and um, Australian Air Force. Yep, um, you got to deal with some pretty crazy stuff when you're in combat, right? And you've got to have the ability to perform in a highly stressful state, life or death, in that. And so, breath work is paramount to some of the practices that they're doing. Um, <clears throat> so, actively doing that and toning it actively by you know doing doing different breath work yep. with with the belly. Um, is hugely powerful um, in order to, you know, not only um, help your mental health in terms of being in um, really uh, 
uh, I guess, chilled out mindsets, but also from a very structural point of view is just enabling you to deal with life better. It's very, very important. Yeah, mate. Well, it brings you also to the present as well. It's like with meditation and whatnot. I haven't done it once again, but I assume that I actually... Oh, we're going to have to do it, boys. <laughs> oh, I, ha- I've, I, have, what, right I have dabbled. I have a good book, actually. Just one? On meditation and mindfulness, just one. <laughs> no, it's like a book, like an all-encompassing book. <laughs> I just read it for I read it when no, I need to learn awesome. something. It's the no, that's book, awesome. The book of meditation. But what I have found in dabbling is that the underlying concept of both yoga and meditation and all these things is just the the breath work. Yeah. That is the core concept, concept of how you yeah. centralize with all these things that... You do yoga or you do a meditation pose around that, but the breath work is the core of it. Yeah. Right. Here's one for you, Gussie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the breath is the bridge between the internal and the external. I like that. Right? And so it's one of the very, very few rare um, things that you both can do consciously and unconsciously. So it literally has an ability to go from the central nervous system, which is your conscious uh, awareness, what you can control, and the autonomic nervous system. Not much else, if anything else, has the ability to cross over both in the way that you, if you don't think about breathing, you're still going to breathe. Yeah. But by you consciously thinking about breathing and focusing on your breath, you have an access into your internal autonomic states. Very powerful stuff. I like that a lot. Yeah, amazing. So, breath work. Breath work and, and yeah, meditation. Yeah, so, we'll yeah. do some. We'll do some. What, right now? <laughs> he looks frightened, a bit excited. You see that? <laughs> Producer Frank. Producer Frank's got to get on the road. He's late as we are. Um, that, that pretty much wraps us up. Um, so, Tombo, once again, we want to thank you for coming in, sharing your your story and your work with Outback Futures, your your take on mental health at the moment and um, also your work you're doing with high-performance athletes in that. Um, thanks on behalf of myself, Gus, and Producer Frey for coming in. It's been... Thank you on behalf of myself. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you. But I'd chime in for that. I appreciate you. <laughs> Sorry, I should have given you a little little slip there. Give me the work. chance. <laughs> Give me a look. Give us a look, sir. Um, thanks again. Um, we also want to thank our podcast sponsor Kiala Organic Beef they are 100% certified organic grass fed beef and pork straight from their local farmers delivered straight to your door or workplace so thanks I don't know how long they've been sponsoring us but it's a long time <laughs> are they still sponsoring us do they know they are <laughs> be a question <laughs> should we reach out and check <laughs> I think they do um, thanks Tombo thanks producer Frey thanks Gus Gus Bus thank you all And to the listeners, we'll see you next week. See you then. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, boys. (laughs) I don't know what you wanted from me. (laughs)